there's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. Around 260 CE, a man is beaten and then stabbed to death at a bog near Dotgen, Germany. After his death, the man's body was decapitated by his killers before his remains were dumped in the bog. Nearly 2,000 years later, in the mid-20th century, the Dakin man's dismembered body was found. His perfectly preserved braid seems to point to his warrior status. The care given to firmly pin down the man's separate head and body seems to suggest that whoever buried Datkin Man wanted to make sure he didn't get up and walk again. The apparent concern was that the Datkin Man was a Wiedergänger, the German word for again walker or zombie in English. This practice points to an ancient culture fearful of the power of the dead. This bog body and so many others tell stories of torture and violence in ancient times. Unraveling the secrets of these corpses opens a window into the past where we might find our origins are more horrific than we ever realized. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unexplained Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. This is our second and final episode on the bog bodies uncovered in the bogs of Northern Europe. Last week, we discussed the impressively preserved corpses of people who died hundreds, even thousands of years ago. This week, we'll explore some of the theories explaining why people were deposited in bogs and investigate the ancient cultural traditions that appear to be buried along with these bog corpses. For over three centuries, the remains of hundreds of people have been discovered in northern European bogs. Archaeologists are able to see the nails, hair, skin, internal organs, even fingerprints and stomach contents of bog bodies. 
Their clothing or complete lack of clothes mirror the state in which they were placed in these bog tombs. Also preserved are the many signs of violence and torture that most bog people endured during their lifetimes and, for some, even after their deaths. This leaves us with the question of why so many people were killed in this way. While the bog bodies range in age and gender, most share the signs of horrible trauma and violence, including strangulation, stabbing, dismemberment, bludgeoning, mutilation, and other forms of torture. The clear signs of violence point to an obvious first-glance theory that bog bodies are simply murder victims. The remains of a young boy were found in a bog in Kehausen, North Germany, in 1922. The boy was between ages 7 and 10 when he was killed, and his body was dated between 400 and 300 BCE. His corpse indicates that he suffered from both disease and malnutrition. The young child was stripped naked and hogtied by his neck, hands, and feet. He was repeatedly stabbed, including three long cuts to his throat. But a closer look at his remains, specifically a cut on his left arm, seems to indicate he tried to defend himself. Likewise, the old Crawhan man, the suspected Irish aristocrat we discussed last episode, also had slash marks on his arm from his struggles to ward off his killers. After the old Crawhan man and the boy from Kayhausen died, both bodies were dropped into nearby bogs. The lack of grave goods and the removal of the victim's clothes, as seen with the Kayhausen boy, speak to a lack of respect granted to these particular bog people. The restraining of their bodies with rope and other materials further speak to the possibility these bog people were robbed, stripped of their valuables, and then unceremoniously killed and buried. The body of a more recent bog person, the Boxton Man, also seems to point to a murder and cover-up. Buried around 700 years ago, the Boxton Man stands out among hundreds of bodies pulled from bogs for several reasons. First, this corpse wasn't found in the same condition as most other bog bodies. As we explored in the first part, while bogs superbly mummify bodies, the chemistry of these wetland areas also often eats away at bone. This process leaves some bog bodies with shriveled or completely missing skeletons. However, the Boxton man's bones were mostly intact, and he had miraculously preserved locks of hair. This allowed researchers to find that he was struck on the jaw and by the right ear with a blunt object, possibly a hammer or a pole. After he fell to the ground, he was hit on the back of the skull, an instantly fatal blow. His body was then tossed into the bog, where he was impaled with wooden poles to prevent his body rising to the surface. His corpse was discovered in 1936 in Boxton, Sweden. While it wasn't remarkable that the Boxton man experienced violence just before his death, the fact that he was buried wearing clothes leads him to stand out from the many other bog bodies. 
Based on the condition of his remains in his clothing, it was concluded that the 30 to 35-year-old man lived during the 14th century. He was found wearing a tunic, a cloak, a hood, woolen hose, and leather shoes. The Boxton man also had two leather belts and a pair of knives on him. The man's impressively preserved hairstyle features long locks. This, along with the items found with his body and his clothing, suggests that he was of a high social status. Perhaps he was a recruiter for the army or a tax collector, which was never a well-liked profession. Regardless, it appears he was a wealthy man who fell victim to murder. But there are many bog bodies that don't fit as neatly into the theft and murder hypothesis. Many bog bodies were poor people whose injuries go far beyond what we might expect from a typical killing. As we discussed last episode, the Ida girl was found with shocking red hair on one side of her head, while the other side was shaved to the scalp. This appears to have been a public form of humiliation for committing adultery. This kind of evidence suggests that bog people may have been killed and buried in their peat moss graves, not after ordinary murders, but as punishment for their crimes. In the first century CE, Roman historian Publius Cornelius Tacitus was one of the earliest documented scholars to offer this theory on how bog people ended up in their wetland tombs. Born into a wealthy family, Tacitus is well known for his writings about early Christianity. He described Christians of his era as a class hated for their abominations. In his ethnographic manuscript, Germania, written in 98 CE, Tacitus described the cultures and customs of the people in the present-day Netherlands, Germany, and southern Denmark. He alleged German peoples of this region killed and buried those who had committed crimes, including adultery, desertion, and other deeds of shame. In that work, he further described the fate of purported criminals. The punishment varies to suit the crime. Traitors and deserters are hanged on trees. Cowards, shirkers are pressed down under a wicker hurdle into the slimy mud of the bog. The distinction in the punishment is based on the idea that offenders against the state should be made a public example of whereas deeds of shame should be buried out of men's sight. Around the time of Tacitus's writing, the body now known as Vindeby I was buried in a northern German bog. As we discussed last episode, this bog body was found wearing a cap, a collar around its neck, and what appeared to be a blindfold made of wool. Also of note, this corpse was discovered without grave goods in its final resting place. After Vindeby One was pulled from the bog in 1952, another body was later found fairly close to the same spot. Based on Tacitus's writing, researchers believed these two bog bodies belonged to an adulterous couple. Their punishment was death and then burial in their shared bog grave. Several bog bodies, including the Elling woman and the famed Tolland man, were most likely hanged. The marks left on their preserved remains and the ropes found on or near their bodies support this conclusion. 
Executions during these ancient eras could be quite horrific. As archaeologist Miranda Althaus-Green discusses in her book, Bog Bodies Uncovered, Solving Europe's Ancient Mystery, this could be because people of these times were largely desensitized to suffering and pain. They were exposed to so much violence and death due to illness and warfare that these brutal punishments may not have been seen as extreme. While this explanation of the many bog bodies of northern Europe does have its enthusiasts, a closer look at the bog bodies seems to tell a very different and much more macabre story. It's a tale of bloodthirsty gods and human sacrifice. After this, we look at how criminal punishment may not completely explain the mystery around these mummified corpses. Now, back to our story. Bog bodies are mummified corpses found in bogs throughout northern Europe. Some theories state that they were murder victims hidden beneath the mud. Others state that they were criminals executed and then buried away so that their crimes would be forgotten. The Tolland Man and the Old Crawhan Man are among some of the bog bodies that most closely match these theories. But these explanations of murder or capital punishment may not tell the full story. Roman historian Tacitus's interpretation heavily informs contemporary scholars who echo these theories. But we don't have to look any further than the original source to find one of the problems with this explanation. Tacitus's biases about the Germanic peoples and the attitudes held by the conquering Roman Empire colored his writings. While he praised the northern inhabitants for their bravery and devotion to their leaders, his observations and reflections came through the lens of an infiltrating nation that looked at the conquered people as primitive and barbaric. Much of his perspective was derived from the contrast in the simpler customs of the northern regions and the more decadent ones of the Roman people. Writers like Tacitus tended to describe non-Roman or non-Greek practices negatively. Contemporary archaeologists like Miranda Aldhouse-Green caution against relying heavily on classical historians. She emphasizes that writers like Tacitus were outsiders to these cultures they wrote about. Also, even beyond his bias, it appears that much of Tacitus's information was secondhand, as he never visited the region in person. When we look closer at the pair of bodies found near Vindeby, Germany, the explanation that they belonged to a criminal couple facing punishment also falls short. Unlike most bog bodies, Vindeby I shows no signs of trauma inflicted around the time of his death. If he were executed as punishment, it would be expected that he would have incurred some sort of fatal injury before being buried in the bog. Instead, the remains of Vindeby I suggest that he suffered from ongoing malnutrition or illness, which may have been the actual cause of his death. It's possible that his burial was after a death by natural causes. 
Additionally, radiocarbon dating indicates that Vindaby I, who was buried around the first century CE, was disposed of close to 300 years before the other Vindaby body, the corpse that presumably belonged to his adulterous lover. When weighing if the corpses belonged to executed criminals, we also have to look at the intricate efforts involved in the killing and disposal of bog bodies. For example, the Toland man experienced a gruesome death. However, his body was positioned in a seemingly serene pose that, over 2,000 years later, was described as having a gentle expression by bog body expert Peter Wilhelm Glob. The contrast between the brutal punishments and the carefully positioned bog bodies suggests that these may not have been ordinary burials. If the bodies were respected in death, and if the victims died with a serene expression, perhaps they weren't killed at all. Perhaps they willingly died as human sacrifices. In her book, Bog Bodies Uncovered, British archaeologist Miranda Aldhouse-Green argues that neither murder nor capital punishment makes sense based on all of the available evidence. Rather, she argues that the most likely explanation for the pattern of bog bodies is human sacrifice. First proposed in the 1950s, this theory is widely supported by most contemporary archaeologists. It is believed, for example, that in present-day countries like Denmark, the victims were offerings to placate Nordic gods like Odin or Nerthus after a bad harvest or other misfortune. As we explored in the first part of this series, peat has mostly served as a practical fuel source for Northern Europeans. But bogs, which are neither open water nor solid land, were considered a portal between Earth and the other world. These places were marginal, magical, hallowed, and dreaded. Maeve Sikora, an assistant keeper at the National Museum of Ireland in Dublin, said, We know something hugely significant is going on here. We found wooden vessels here. We found bog butter. This bog is a very sacred place. For various peoples during the Iron Age, including the Celts, bogs were sacred places used for religious rituals, such as offerings, dedications, and possibly human sacrifice. And the bog bodies themselves bear evidence of these spiritual practices. It was October 20th, 1835, when a group of workers were digging in a ditch in the Haraldskarfen. As they plowed into the peat bog on Denmark's Jutland Peninsula, they encountered the well-preserved body of a woman. Believed to have stood at approximately five feet two inches, the woman's remains were staked to the spongy peat moss with small bars that curved over her knees and elbows, strapping her in place. Danish historian Niels Matthias Peterson identified her as Queen Gunhild of Norway. Legend says she died around 970 CE, drowned deep in the bog. According to stories, Viking King Harald Bluetooth of Denmark enticed the queen from Norway to be his bride. But when she arrived, instead of marriage, 
She died and was laid in the Danish bog for reasons that aren't entirely clear in the stories. Soon after her remains were found in 1835, the legends turned her into a post-mortem sensation. About a year after Gunhild's body was pulled from her bog grave in 1836, Denmark's King Friedrich VI presented the bog queen with a finely carved oak sarcophagus, a more fitting tomb for someone of her assumed status. Her remains were put on display as a kind of Viking trophy. One of the early critics of this narrative was J.J.A. Vorso, one of the primary founders of prehistoric archaeology. He asserted that the woman was misdated and should be grouped with bog bodies that died between 2000 BCE and 200 CE. It wasn't until 1977 when carbon dating was employed to analyze the body that it was found that she had indeed lived during the 5th century BCE. She was Queen Gunhild no more, but instead became the Harold Scare woman. Further analysis in 2000 revealed that she had a thin line around her neck that had gone undetected until then. The woman had not drowned, as was previously believed. She'd been strangled. Researchers also learned from her teeth that the woman was raised locally, though the strontium in the tips of her hair indicated that she spent her final months far away in a more volcanic area like the middle of present-day Germany or the United Kingdom. These later discoveries altered the grander narratives created about her life and, more importantly, her death. They also suggest that this woman, whoever she was, was of some importance and that her strangulation and bog burial may have been a ritualistic sacrifice. Karine Margarita Fry, professor of archaeometry and archaeological science at the National Museum of Denmark, highlights the travel evidenced in the months before some bog people were killed. Fry believes that if bog bodies like the Harold Scare woman were sacrificed, their journey may have been part of that ceremony. To understand this better, let's revisit the Tolland Man, which is on display at the Silkeborg Museum in Silkeborg, Denmark. We discussed earlier that we know the Tolland Man was hanged before being cast into his bog grave. But similar to the Harold Scare woman, he seems to have gone on a long journey before he died. Forensic analysis of his hair indicates that while he spent his final year in Denmark, the Tolland man possibly moved at least 20 miles in the last six months of his life. This would have been a great distance during ancient eras. Archaeological scholars believe he was killed close to the end of winter or early spring. The seasonal foods in his stomach clues us into a rough timeline of his death. Bog body expert P.V. Glob noted that gruel or porridge were also found in his gastrointestinal system. During the Iron Age, this kind of gruel was used as a special last meal intended to accelerate the arrival of spring. In addition, evidence indicates that this food was an important part of bloody human sacrifices. Glob concluded that the Tolland man must have been a highly prized sacrifice that was probably offered to Nerthus, the Earth Mother, to ensure a bountiful harvest. 
Some archaeologists hypothesize that perhaps instead he was sacrificed to other gods as a fertility offering. The Germanic god Tusto was viewed as an earth god and ancestor of humanity. His association with the land connected him with the fertility of the soil. It is also possible the Talon man was sacrificed in order to carry special messages to the spiritual world. Whoever deposited the Talon man's body in the bog may have intended to place him at the borderland to the beyond. One constant across all bog bodies is that their deaths were brutal. Given that some of these corpses also bear defensive wounds, we're left wondering if the victims truly consented to being sacrificed. And yet, other evidence implies that the ritual before human sacrifice lasted for months. So did a chosen victim know the fate that lay before them? The evidence doesn't fully answer this question, but what we can piece together tells a complicated story. One that features the victimization of people who today would be cared for and protected. One leading scientific theory is that Iron Age people viewed physically disabled people as particularly holy. But that respect came at a great cost, a painful, brutally violent death. Coming up, we dive further into this victimization process. Now back to our story. So far, we've discussed possible ideas about why the bog people were killed and what led to the unusual circumstances of their burials. We first explored the theory that these remains belonged to people who were murdered and then dumped in the wetlands, or that bog victims sealed their fates through their criminal acts. We've also explored the question of whether these corpses were victims of ritual human sacrifice. Archaeologists like Karine Margarita Fry and Miranda Aldhouse-Green pointed toward evidence that bog people traveled widely as a part of a pre-sacrifice ritual. But adding to this theory, what if the sacrifice victims weren't even aware they were to be sacrificed? To support this idea, we must return to the case of the Grabella Man. As we investigated in the first part, when this bog man was discovered in Denmark in 1952, his stomach contents were preserved in his body. His last meal was porridge, which may have been a ritualistic meal. Of greater intrigue, his stomach also contained a hallucinogenic fungus called ergot. This substance, which naturally occurs on plants like rye, is used to synthesize contemporary drugs like LSD. While it is possible this drug-like element could have made him delirious or put him in a coma, it is also a possibility that he consumed this fungus as part of the ritual before sacrifice. Additionally, as we discussed earlier in this episode, it seems that a long voyage could have been part of the ceremonial practice before sacrificing humans. Were his final days one long, drug-fueled road trip? The Graubella man's body, unfortunately, doesn't provide a roadmap to understanding if he was a willing victim. The dent in his skull could have been an ambush from behind or an expected mercy killing. On the other hand, 
The theory that bog bodies were human sacrifices looks increasingly likely when we consider the significant number of bog victims who suffered from some form of physical deformity. Some of these abnormalities were more minor in nature, like cauliflower ear or diseased joints. But for some bog bodies, these deformities were more pronounced, including a man with extra fingers, a man who was a giant, and another man who was a little person. In the first part, we investigated the Ida girl. She was a bog person likely killed because of her physical disabilities. CT scans performed on her remains showed that the girl suffered from an abnormal curve in her spine. Her legs revealed that she may have been pigeon-toed and that she probably walked with a limp due to her misshapen foot. Individuals like the Ida girl could have been selected because their physical disabilities were seen as spiritually significant. Althaus Green describes these visually special people as possibly being targeted for their uniqueness and related spiritual power. It's also possible that their deaths were seen as a positive thing, that in the next life they might have bodies that were more functional. This suggests that the lives offered to the gods were of great importance, not devalued. In ancient Germanic cultures, for example, livestock held an extremely high value, mainly because the community's survival greatly depended on it. When cattle were sacrificed, it indicated a high level of reverence and devotion on the part of the people. Sacrificing human beings and burying them in the bogs may indicate that the people were experiencing extremely dire circumstances that required something of particularly great value to be offered to the gods. But despite all this evidence indicating that bog bodies were victims of ritual sacrifice, there are still aspects of these preserved corpses that confound the theory. The signs of brutality on bog bodies serve as one point of contention. Some think that the practice of overkilling, or inflicting numerous varied fatal blows, held ritual significance. But bodies discovered with their throats cut, bones broken, and nooses around the necks seem more like the victims of hate rather than reverent sacrifice. But some believe that the often extreme violence and torture revealed in forensic evidence could have been inflicted long after the bog person's death. A team of investigators in Denmark landed on this conclusion in recent years after examining various bog bodies from that country. Julia Farley, a curator at the British Museum who was first exposed to bog bodies when she saw the Lindau man as a child, is among those who agree that the physical evidence does not necessarily suggest bog people were mutilated while still alive. We discussed the Lindo man in the last episode. He was uncovered by workers in 1984 in Cheshire, England. He appeared to have died between 20 CE and 90 CE during the Iron Age. The naked body bore a slit throat and a fractured skull, believed to be the result of several blows to the head. A cord was found around his neck. Many investigators believe this rope was used to accelerate his bleeding out. His face was finally pushed into the bog, where he took his last breath. 
Farley points out that the cord tied around the Lindo man's neck could have easily been a necklace and not a noose-like object. She and other experts point to the angle of the rope marks on these bodies, which is inconsistent with hanging. Also, as forensic archaeologist P.V. Glob notes, certain Danish goddesses wear neck rings and twisted bands that he describes as like the ropes round the necks of sacrificed bogmen. These cords that have been described as nooses could have simply been jewelry items. This leaves us with questions as to the purpose these ropes served. Farley hypothesizes that the Lindo man's skull injuries might not have even occurred while he was alive. Instead, they may have been caused by the crushing weight of the peat moss over the centuries. The idea that bogs change the bodies is of course not new. The chemical processes in bogs have been found to greatly change several bog bodies after death. We have seen these changes to bog bodies in the Ida girl and the Grabella man, whose hair color is believed to have changed because of their exposure to the environment of the bogs. With all of this in mind, it seems clear that we can't assume or take for granted anything when it comes to these ancient corpses. If they were human sacrifices, then they may have been willing or unwilling, and their wounds may or may not have been inflicted before their deaths. We have to also consider that in certain parts of this northern region, there were bodies that were pulled from bogs soon after their deaths. These bodies were kept on display by cultures who have revered human sacrifices to the gods. And so the record is incomplete. There are many sacrificial bodies that were not preserved in bogs and therefore will never have the chance to be examined by modern archeologists. This also speaks to a problem with the larger archaeological record from Northern Europe. There is not much, if any, contemporary written record from the Europeans. In fact, much of what forensic archaeologists deduce about the ritualistic practices of this era is drawn exclusively from the bog bodies themselves. But it has become clear that, despite the similarities of the hundreds of bog bodies found to date, It's impossible to rule that they were all killed or disposed of in bogs for the same reason. As research technology and tools expand, perhaps there will be new methods by which we can learn more about ancient humans. Archaeologists have been able to use contemporary analysis techniques like 3D CT scans, which provide greater information while better preserving and maintaining the bog bodies. Many experts continue to search for DNA from these bodies to help unlock more of their secrets. But the inability of genetic material to survive in the bogs leaves a hole in the information available to researchers. So there's still much more to learn and much we will never fully uncover. But given what we do know, we can make some educated guesses to try and solve the unexplained mysteries around the bog bodies. Although bog people have been a widely researched and speculated upon phenomenon since the mid-19th century, these mysterious corpses remain somewhat obscure. But from these bodies, researchers have learned a lot about ancient European religion and practice, 
particularly those tied to ritual suicide. And Hollywood has run with the trope. The Wicker Man was released in 1973 and told a horrific story of a man who learns he's the honored offering in a pagan sacrifice with roots in ancient European history. Just as in the case with actual bog people, the protagonist's sacrificial death is drawn out and painful. The film was so successful, it was remade in 2006. The 2017 TV show, American Gods, based on a Neil Gaiman novel of the same name, explores the fictionalized history of Nordic gods. In the book and the TV show, deities draw vitality and power from the victims who are tortured and then killed in their name. And the 2019 horror film, Midsummer, also deals with a Swedish cult that seems to draw many of its traditions from the twisted practices of ancient Europeans. All of these pieces presume that the ancient Iron Age practices of human sacrifice persist in some form to this day. In reality, these practices would be long forgotten if not for the preservation of bog bodies and the growing scientific field that seeks to unlock history's secrets that are etched in the corpse's flesh. But many questions still remain unanswered. And in spite of all the evidence to support the theory that bog people were human sacrifice, this idea still isn't universally accepted. When it comes to this mystery, easy answers are in short supply. Vinand van der Sanden, head archeologist for the province of Drenthe in the Netherlands said, Bog bodies are not equal in each and every respect. We must now begin to study exactly where they were thrown in the bog and put them in geographical perspective. Ole Nielsen, director of the Silkeborg Museum, further described the mystery. It will never end. There will always be new questions. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back Thursday with an all-new episode. For more information on bog bodies, amongst the many sources we used, we found Bog Bodies Uncovered, Solving Europe's Ancient Mystery by Miranda Althaus-Green and P.V. Glob's book, The Bog People, Iron Age Man Preserved, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast Originals like Unexplained Mysteries for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Unexplained Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll see you next time. See you next Thursday. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Kerry Murphy, Maggie Admire, and Travis Clark.
This episode was written by Chandra Thomas and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner.